You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to this Halloween spooktacular. Thank you so much for joining me. Lots to do tonight. I have not one, not two, not four, but three reviews of classic horror movies that'll satiate any horror hound amongst you. And betwixt them all, three radio chillers featuring the likes of Peter Lorre, a cackling witch, and an early prototype of the found footage genre that'll blow your mind. But first, let's start as we mean to go on with a song in our hearts. Opening tonight's Spookfest is Louis Armstrong with You've Got Me Voodooed. Just like some magic potion, you fill me with emotion. You control my very soul. You've got me voodooed. You knew the goddess Venus would start this love between us. You inspired me with desire. You've got me voodoo. You knew you had the power and even picked the hour when the full moon was up above. I was hypnotized when I looked into your eyes. My heart was filled with love. Just like the siren Cersei, you've got me at your mercy. Always yours to heaven hold. Mama, you've got me voodoo.
And that was Louis Armstrong with You've Got Me Voodooed. Before I tell you about some movies, just quickly better tell you that on November 20th and 21st, the Attaboy Clarence Film Festival returns. Saturday the 20th is open day. You're all welcome in. So join us for a whole day of movies and classic movie chats. It's all online. You don't have to go anywhere. Just click the link and you're in. Some fabulous films being shown. And on Sunday the 21st, it's Patron Day. So if you're signed up at www.patreon.com slash attaboysecrets, then you'll have access to a second day filled with a rather more curated set of movies, some of which are featured on this very podcast at one time or another. Mark your calendars the 20th and 21st of November. The Attaboy Clarence Film Festival is open for business all weekend. Okay, so when is a vampire movie not a vampire movie? Answer? When it's not a vampire movie, which might be slightly confuddling, considering that the name of the first movie today is Mark of the Vampire. This was MGM's counterattack to the success of the universal horror movies of the early 1930s. The studio went all out on trying to repeat the success of Dracula. They had Bela Lugosi as the film's main vampire threat. Director Todd Browning was brought in to helm the movie. It's staffed by the very best of the schlock horror supporting guys and given an extra veneer of quality by the addition of such names as Lionel Barrymore, Lionel Atwill and Gene Hersholt. So with all these ingredients in the pan, do we emerge with a recipe worth your time? Let's see. The story begins with the mysterious death of Sir Carol Broughton, played by Holmes Herbert. He's been found dead in his house with two telltale fang marks on his neck. His friend Baron von Zinden, played by Jean Herschelt, is convinced that the creature responsible for Broughton's death is the sinister Count Mora, played by Bela Lugosi, and his uncanny daughter Luna, played by Carol Borland. What is all this about vampires? Yes, and this castle. That's where they live, in their coffins. And they come out at night and drink people's blood. <laughs> Silly superstition. You would not laugh if you lived in these mountains. Fancy, Ronnie. Vampires in the 20th century. Ripping. They'll never believe that at the club. She says, please do not mock. Because if the vampires should hear you, they will take their revenge on all of us. Investigating the death is Inspector Newman played by Lionel Atwill, who calls in the aid of vampire expert Professor Zelen, played by Lionel Barrymore, who instantly identifies Count Mora as one of the undead and sets out to lay a trap that will reveal the real truth behind the death of Sir Carol. There is no more foul or relentless enemy of man in the occult world than this dead alive creature spewed up from the grave. True, true. Todd Browning is something of a love-hate figure in the annals of horror cinema. The issue is that he did as much terrible work in the genre as he did good. Dracula is terribly stodgy, despite its influence. Case in point, we watched that with the film club last week. And while there are certain moments that have lasted, it's largely unfocused and 
quite dull for long stretches. The problem is that Bela Lugosi is not in Dracula enough, and too much time is given to the likes of Z-grade supporting players like David Manners. Freaks, while certainly memorable, and capped off by a climax that haunts the memory forever, is far more exploitative than noble, and peopled by a huge number of non-actors who look the part, but who are rarely convincing as dramatic actors. Then you have curios such as the Devil Doll, which is completely ludicrous if you look at it on paper, but which is actually a masterpiece of grand guignol filmmaking that's as breathtaking in its daring as it is in its execution. I mean, you have to have some guts to dress Lionel Barrymore in an old lady disguise and put him to work in a plot surrounding miniaturized assassins. It's at these kind of moments, though, in Todd Browning's canon that you find the real gold. Freaks has the ambition, but not the quality. Dracula has the pedigree, but not the execution. Devil Doll has the bravery and the quality that keeps you coming back. And so we come to Mark of the Vampire, which is essentially a detective movie featuring a vampire antagonist, played by the greatest vampire actor of them all, and coupled to a mystery that actually mystifies. Now, I won't spoil the denouement of this film, suffice to say that any scholar of classic cinema will know that the way this thing ends has always been a source of controversy. Many decry this film as silly, preposterous, and something of a cop-out. I have to say, I've never felt that way about it. I like the bravery of Todd Browning's last act. It's rare to see this kind of leap taken when a film's budget is on the line. The last act of this film kind of defies logic. But then again, we're always hearing about movies that wanted to do something but were held back by producers or the code. It's very rare indeed to see a movie that actually gets to take a chance and have that chance, success or failure, become the result that we end up with. I know I'm being slightly mysterious, and I apologize, but if anything, I hope I'm tantalizing you enough to go and seek this film out, because I'm dying to know what you think about the film's resolution, and I urge you to go in cold. Yes, lots of it doesn't make sense when you think about it afterwards, but I can kind of forgive it. Sometimes a movie isn't about the answer or the solution, it's about the journey you take. Mark of the Vampire is a rare hybrid of detective fiction and supernatural thriller starring some real icons of the Golden Age, and whether or not the reveal works or not. It's terribly fun to see Bela stalking the mist, Barry Moore holding up the crucifix, Atwill hot on the trail of the criminal, and vampires visiting MGM's rather more glossy surroundings. It's an intriguing, atmospheric little horror mystery that will require a certain level of forgiveness from you as the viewer. But how wonderful to know that sometimes, just sometimes, the crazy ideas of filmmakers manage to slip past the tight grip of those on high and onto the silver screen. Now, our first visit to Radio Terror tonight is in the company of one of horror cinema's most respected voices, Mr. Peter Lorre who appears in a wonderfully frenzied episode of Mystery in the Air, a radio series in which he starred often. This time, it's an adaptation of the famous Guy de Maupassant short story, The Hauler, the tale of a man haunted and perhaps possessed by an evil spirit. This story actually provided H.P. Lovecraft himself with the inspiration for his groundbreaking tale, Call of Cthulhu. And who better to bring it to you today than the remarkable Peter Lorre? So off we go now for a tale of madness, possession, and terror. This is 
the hauler. Mystery in the Air, starring Peter Lorre, presented by Camel Cigarettes. Ladies and gentlemen, there are two kinds of stories. Those you can take to bed with you and they relax you and put your mind at ease. And then, then there's the other kind. And our story tonight is the other kind. I still do not know whether it was the shadow of the madness to which the author himself so tragically succumbed. Or whether there really was a, an evil something that could not be seen or described. Oh, why don't you decide for yourself, uh, I'm simply going to tell you the facts in a case as set forth by Guy de Maupassant in his immortal story, The Horror. Each week at this hour... Peter Lorre brings us the excitement of the great stories of the strange and unusual, of dark and compelling masterpieces culled from the four corners of world literature. Tonight, The Horla by de Maupassant. Mystery in the Air, starring Peter Lorre, brought to you by Camel Cigarettes. of my house, the house in which I was born and grew up. Oh, it's a wonderful house, and I love it. From my windows, I can see our great river, the Seine, which flows along the side of my garden, yes, the great wide Seine, which goes to Rouen and Le Havre, and, and is covered by boats passing to and fro. Yes, down to the left lies Rouen and a whole city dominated by the spire of the cathedral and, and full of bells which sound through the air on fine days, even as far as my home. Oh, <laughs> what a wonderful morning. I was almost sorry when Marie, she's my housemaid, you know, when, when she interrupted me. Your luncheon is ready, monsieur. Hmm? Oh, <laughs> thank you, Marie, but, you know, it seems a pity to go in a house. Say, do you like it here, Marie? Oh, yes, sir. I like it very much. Yes. I love to watch the boats go by on the Seine. Oh, you do, huh? So do I. See that one? That big schooner, and, and it's being pulled by... Look, what a little tug. Oh, look, it's no bigger oh, than a fly. Isn't it beautiful? Mm. So clean and white and yes, shiny. All white, yes, and she's a three-master, you know. Brazilian, I think, yes, I... 
Yes, I can see the flag. It is Brazilian. Oh, she's had a long journey from South America to pass my house. You love this place very much, don't you, monsieur? <laughs> yes, Maria. I love it. I can feel those deep roots which attach a man to the soil and on which his ancestors were born and died and, and to the villages, yes, to, to, to the atmosphere itself. <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about, do you, Marie? No, sir. No. But I do know that if you don't come into the house soon, your luncheon will be cold. All right, all right, Marie, I'll come in. had a slight feverish attack the last few days, and I feel low-spirited and ill. I, I have continually a horrible feeling of, of impending danger, an apprehension of, of some coming misfortune or, or of approaching death. Uh, I've never experienced anything like this before. If it continues, I, I think I'll have to see my doctor. Look, I've told you, your pulse is rapid and your eyes yes, are slightly yeah. dilated. Otherwise, you're in splendid condition. But, Doctor, then then why is it when evening comes on, a, a feeling of oppression seizes me, just, just as if night concealed something horrible? Why is that? Probably just a slight attack of indigestion. Yes, yes, indigestion. Yesterday, when I was walking in a forest of Rumor, why did it suddenly seem to me that I was being followed and, and that someone was walking at my heels close, quite close to me? He was near enough to touch me, and yet... Yet when I turned around, I saw nothing, nothing behind me but the path between the tall trees, horribly empty. Can you explain that by indigestion, can you, huh? Well, here's a bromide. Mm. If you'll take it in several cold showers daily, I'm sure your fears will vanish. Yes, I'm sure. And you'll be able to sleep without any further trouble. All right, Doctor, thank you very much. Just a moment, just a moment. Yes? Are you all right? What You're is it, You're screaming Marie? and calling out. I'm sorry, I... Wake the I servants. I must have been here having a nightmare, Marie. Look, oh, if you dreamed that someone was looking at you and touching you and, and taking your neck in his hands and squeezing it, squeezing with all his might in order to strangle you, don't you think you would cry out too, huh? Oh, yes, sir, I'm sure well, I you should. you see, all right. Just tell the other servants I shall try to be more quiet. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Good night. Hey, look. Look, Marie, my, my water carafe. Your water carafe, monsieur? Yes, it, it was full. I, I know it was full when I went to bed. Yes, sir, I filled it last night. Yes, and now it's empty. I haven't touched it, and, and it's empty. Yes, sir. Somebody has drunk the, the water. So, somebody has, has been in his room. Somebody, something... Drank that water. I don't know who could have, sir, unless perhaps you yourself in your sleep. Yes, yes, I myself in my sleep, of course. That's it. I, I must have done it myself, Marie. Marie, tell him to pack my things. I, I'm going to Paris. I, I'm leaving the first thing in the morning.
July 12th. Paris. <laughs> Paris, I, I must have lost my head during the last few weeks. And at home, my mental state bordered a madness for, for I had believed... Yes, I... I had believed that, that an invisible being lived beneath my roof. <laughs> how stupid, how perfectly ridiculous it all seems now, yes. Twenty-four hours in Paris have completely restored my equilibrium, and, and tonight I, I'm going to dine at the house of my cousin, Madame Sablé, and, oh, Dr. Parent is going to be there. He's the famous specialist for nervous disorders, and, and I shall ask him, and I'm sure he, he can finally put my mind at rest about this, this silly hallucination. Well, Dr. Palantine, I've been wanting to ask you, have, have you ever known of a case where a person feels that he is, um, how shall I put it, and, and not entirely in, in command of his soul? It is curious that you should ask me that. Why is it curious? Because now, only now, in 1889, yes. after all these years, we are on the verge of discovering one of the most important secrets of nature. What is that? Ever since man has thought, he has felt himself close to a mystery which has been impenetrable to his gross and imperfect senses. Yes. Whatever are you talking about, Dr. Parent? <laughs> Apparitions, my dear Madame Sablé. Invisible spirits. <laughs> oh, you doctor. You're always being mysterious. Oh, not at all. For more than a century now... Men seem to have had a presentiment of something new. Yes. Uh, Mesmer and some others have put us on an unexpected track, and we have arrived at really surprising results. Oh, you're just trying to frighten us. Not at all. If you think so, would you like me to try to send you to sleep, madame? It would be a novel experience. <laughs> if you can do it. <laughs> and if I can, it will answer your cousin's question. Yes, it certainly would. Now, madame, if you would just sit in this easy chair. So, <sighs> now you must let your mind go completely blank, and look fixedly into my eyes. Yes, that's right. Now, you are going to sleep. To sleep. You're going to sleep. 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 You see, her eyes are becoming heavy. Her mouth is twitching. Yes, sleep. You have nothing but... That I don't like this. Mind. It frightens me. Sleep. Sleep. Here, now she is asleep. An easy subject, I must say. Now, if you will stand directly behind her chair, I will proceed with the experiment. Now, mm. I hand her an ordinary pasteboard visiting card. So. Now, Madame Sable, you hold in your hand a looking glass. Yes. I am holding a looking glass. What do you see in it? I see my cousin standing behind my chair. What is he doing? He is... Twisting his ear. But, Doctor, she cannot see me behind her by, by looking at a piece of cardboard. No, of course she can't. She sees you through her mind. Or someone's mind. This troubles you, doesn't it? Yes, it troubles me. But it answers your question. No. No, it does not. That's common knowledge, Doctor. It's an axiom that, that human beings can be dominated by human beings, but... What if a human being is, is dominated by something, by, by something else, I mean, something not human? What then, Doctor? August 6th. I'm back at home. 
Yes, now I know it's useless to struggle. Useless. Somebody possesses my soul and, and dominates it. Somebody orders all my acts, all my thoughts. I'm, I'm nothing except his slave and a terrified spectator of all I do. Yes, but... But who is he, this... This invisible being that... That rules me, this... This unknowable spirit, this... This rover of a supernatural race, he... He must have a name. I... I know he has. I feel it. I, I can feel it. And, oh, someday... Someday it will come to me. Oh, if, if I only could leave my house and go away and escape and... And never, never return. But, but it's impossible... This, this being I cannot call by name, he, he will not let me. I'm helpless. What can I do? What can I do? back to de Maupassant's terrifying story of a man obsessed by the idea that he is dominated by an invisible being. Fear is ruining his life. The suspicion that he is no longer master of his own actions, even of his own soul, is rapidly becoming a certainty. It's only two o'clock, and a whole night is before me. Oh, how, how still it is. And the stars, how bright they are. Who inhabits those faraway regions, and, and what do they know that we do not know? Will not one of them someday appear on our earth to conquer it? We are so weak, so, so defenseless, and what was that? I heard the rustle of paper, yet there's no wind Absolutely no wind. There. It's that book, yes. The, the one on the table under the lamp. It's incredible. The, the page has turned. The page lifted itself up and fell down upon the others as if a finger had turned it over. My armchair appears empty, but, but no, it isn't. No, no he's there. I know he is, sitting in my place. He's reading. I can't stand it any longer. I'll, I'll grasp him and... He ran away. He, he ran away before I could reach him. He, he ran away and, and the window closed after him. <laughs> He's afraid of me. He's afraid of me. <coughs> what do you call yourself, you you evil slave? Whatever it is, whatever it is, someday, someday I'll catch you and, and crush you. Monsieur, monsieur. What? What? We heard the noise and we wondered. Another nightmare, monsieur. No, it's not a nightmare. I, I was awake. Tell me. Tell me, Marie. Do you believe in... In invisible things? Invisible? Yes, invisible beings that, 
that dominate you. Well, uh, I read an article about that an in article? the paper today. What did it say? That somewhere in Brazil, I think, Brazil. people are frightened, leaving their houses, saying they're pursued by invisible beings which feed on their life while they're asleep. Yeah. Like vampires, you know. Marie. Marie, that, that is where he came from. Oh, monsieur. Don't you remember the... The day we saw that little tug pulling that, that big Brazilian schooner up the river? Yes. Remember, she she looked so white, all white, and and he, he was on board. Yes, he he came from there where his race originated, and and he saw me, and, and he saw my white house, and, and he sprang from the ship. Oh, <laughs> now, now I understand. Don't you? Don't you? No, monsieur, I don't. No. No, you couldn't. It, it's all right, Marie. Go to bed. Uh, there's nothing wrong. Don't worry anymore. Go back to sleep. Go. Yes, now I know. How can I help but knowing it's obvious? Yes, the... The rule of man is over, and, and he has come. He has arrived. But, but what is his name? What do you call yourself? What's that? I, no, I know he's... He's shouting it out. Yes, yes, I listened. Huh? Horla. That's it, yes. The Horla. Yes, the Horla. He, he haunts me. He... He is within me. He's becoming my soul. I, I shall kill him. There, monsieur. What? The iron shutters on the windows and door complete. All right. Know why anybody wants half-inch iron shutters in their bedroom is more mm. than I can see. Well, at least it'll keep everything I out. don't want to keep things out. I want to keep something in. Hmm? Never mind, never mind. If you're finished, you take your tools and go. My housekeeper will pay you. Yes, monsieur. Good day, monsieur. Good day. Now I'm ready. Yes, tonight he'll come. But tonight I'm ready for him. I, I'm ready for him. <laughs> So, so casually as, as if I'm preparing for bed. And now I'll start to close the iron doors, as if I'm shutting myself in for the night. But, but instead of shutting myself in, I'll I'll shut myself out. Yes, yes, it's Donny. He's inside. He, he cannot escape. Downstairs, downstairs. Yes, as fast as I can run. Oh, good, good, the lamp is still burning. Oh, yes, fire, fire, that'll dispose of him. Fire. Oh, see, the house is dry as tender. Won't take long. See, the, the flames are reaching the ceiling already. Oh, 
And I'd better get out before I burn myself up, too. Here, here, yes, here, here I, can, I can watch from here. How slow, how slow the house is burning. Don't you suppose? No, no, there, yes. A tongue of flame licking out on the top of the window. And another, and, and another. See it burn. My house, my, my beautiful house. And, oh, but it's, it's more beautiful. It's now in flames because, because he's inside. And, and he'll burn too, yes. And, and I'll be free. Free. Free of the horror. Forever. Fire. 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 Now the whole place is in flames. Nothing, nothing can stop it. That's Marie, the servants in the garret. They'll be killed. Uh, Stand back, uh, all of you. The roof's going to cave in. Look. Oh, the poor devils, we've got to get some help. Maybe we can get them out of there. It's lighting up the whole countryside. A monstrous, beautiful fuel fire. And he's burning, too. <laughs> My prisoner, that, that new being, that, that new master, the horror. The roof has fallen in. The roof has fallen in. destruction. Only we fear it. All our human terror springs from that, and well, then after man, what? The horror, yes. After us, who can die any day by any accident, comes he who can die only at his own proper hour, because he has touched the limits of his existence. No, he is not dead. Well, what can I do? What, what can I do? Oh, there's one thing I can do. I, I can destroy myself. Yes, yes, yes. I, I must destroy myself. I'm going to destroy, destroy myself. Destroy. I know, I know it's a story. I know it's by the Maupassant, yes. I know it's Thursday night and we are on the air, but, but it's a horror. Let... Oh, oh I, I beg your pardon. I, I'm sorry I got so excited, but I, I warned you at the beginning. It's, it's a very uncomfortable story.
no one sells madness in quite the same way as the peerless Peter Lorre. That was the hauler from Mystery in the Air. Wonderful. Something to lighten the mood slightly now, another musical diversion, this time from K-Star, who's here to tell you a tale you may well have heard before somewhere. Now gather round while I lose a date And what goes on when it gets late Along about midnight the ghosts and banshees Get together for a jamboree There's ghosts with horns and saucer eyes Some have fangs about this size Some short and fat, some tall and thin And some don't even bother to wear their skin I'm telling you, brother, it's a fearful sight Just to see what goes on in the night When the spooks have a midnight jamboree They break it up with a fiendish glee Ghosts are bad, but the one that's cursed Is the headless horseman, he's the worst When he goes jogging across the land Holding his noggin right in his hand Demons take one look and groan Then they hit the road for parts unknown Well, there's no raid like a spook that's burned The ghost don't like a man, he's really burned He swears to the longest day he's dead well, I'll show them that I can get ahead. So close all the windows. Lock all the doors. Unless you're careful why he'll get yours. Don't think he'll hesitate a bit. Cause you clip your top if it will fit. He likes some little, he likes some big. Put him in the middle or wear a wig. Black or white or even. Horseman needs a head With a hip, hip, hip And a clippity-clop Why, he's out looking for a head to chop So don't stop to figure out a plan Cause you can't reason with a headless man With a hip, hip-hop And a clippity-clop Look out! We know what we're talking about Believe me You better watch your cues but take a look at the people who ignored the old good book. Change your ways, you'll find it face. Cause you can't be a haint if you ain't kind of crazed, I guess you'd say. Take our word, we know what we're talking about. You know, this is a pretty spooky thing we're doing here. You don't mind if I turn on another light, do you? Hmm? And that was K-Star with The Headless Horseman, which you may remember from Disney's The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, which of course features the story of Sleepy Hollow, voiced by Bing Crosby. Another film then for Halloween. Let's go all the way back now to not just a tale from the Golden Age, but one dreamed into being long before that. In fact, this particular story was formulated from the quill of that most prolific of fairy tale dreamers, Mr. Charles Perrault back in 1697, the man who also came up with the stories of Little Red Riding Hood, Cinderella, Puss in Boots, and Sleeping Beauty. Oh, you thought Hans Christian Andersen was the big brain in fairy tales, did you? Fairy tale dreamers were the movie studios of their age. They'd come up with stories, and folks the world over would thrill to them. And the marvellous misconception that's stemmed ever since is that all fairy tales were sweetness and light. Some of them were decidedly not that at all. 
Look at a story like The Robber Bridegroom, for instance, which told of a serial killer who hacked apart his victims and ate their remains. The Dead Mother, which told the tale of a ghostly woman coming back to breastfeed the child she died giving birth to. But perhaps the darkest fable, the one that has not just stricken fear into the hearts of readers, but which has also lent its name to a morbid series of copycat crimes over the centuries since its conception, is that of Bluebeard. I'll never forget the first time I read the story for myself as a child and was struck by its grotesque brutality and fearless descriptions of mutilation, murder and abuse. I can quite honestly say that it shook me to the core as a youngster and haunted the dreams of many of my formative years. Now, Bluebeard has been filmed no less than nine times so far and likely more, although indirectly. The version I want to zero in on today, though, is the 1944 version directed by one of horror cinema's most unsung voices, Edgar Ulmer, a man I've championed for years now and who rightly deserves a spot among the higher echelons of cinematic terror. This stars John Carradine in the leading role of Gaston Morel, our bluebeard of the title, along with Gene Parker, Nils Astor, Henry Kulka and Harry the henchman courting himself. And here's a clip. Do you hear her? As if she wouldn't be scared to death to walk alone on the streets these nights. Why do you suppose it is the police haven't caught him? Whom? Whom? Why, Bluebeard, of course. Who else is all Paris terrified of? Oh, Bluebeard. I forgot him. Come on, I want to get home. Victorian-era Paris is terrified by the spectre of a serial killer preying upon the young women who live there. For some time, this killer has been ritually murdering girls and dumping their bodies into the River Seine. Lucille, played by Jean Parker, is introduced to a puppeteer, Gaston Morel, played by John Carradine, and accepts a commission to design some costumes for his puppet figures. Lucille's a modiste, so it's natural she's interested in clothes. Modiste? Do you think you can make some new costumes for me? Oh, well, I... Come backstage. Let me show you the costumes. We soon find out, however, that Gaston the Puppeteer is none other than the very serial killer who's been doing away with the maidens of Paris. His latest victim is his sometime girlfriend, René. In fact, Gaston's murderous impulses seem to be triggered by his sideline hobby as a painter. But why? And is there any way he can keep this fiendish side of himself from Lucille before his terrible secret is discovered. So you are Who said so? Ramate. You believe what Ramate told you? No. Edgar Ulmer is something of a tragic figure in the history of Hollywood. He gave up his dreams of becoming a top-flight director in order to follow his heart. Listen to my series, A Universe of Horrors, and all will be revealed. He went from directing top-flight Universal Horror Fair to suddenly being cast out of Hollywood's Hall of Fame. And from there, he took any job he could for the Poverty Row Studios and spent the next few decades elevating their schlocky B-movies to classic status through some incredible artistry. Bluebeard is one such lowly property made for PRC, one of the shoddy movie studios that seem to stick around the longest alongside the likes of Grand National and Monogram. These guys were the Wild West of 
of Hollywood filmmaking in the golden age. They had no budgets, no roster of stars, no chance in hell of making it into the big leagues. They were in it for the coin, and they endlessly churned out low-rent, quota-quickie stuff with stars who were between contracts or at the end of their rope. For instance, when Jimmy Cagney was suspended by Warner Brothers, he went over to Grand National and made Great Guy, scored a huge hit, and was suddenly welcomed back with open arms and several more zeros on his new contract there. Now, the Poverty Row guys didn't care. They weren't in this for the long game. They were simply trying to hoover up profits and shore them away until the money was no longer rolling in, and then they'd shut up shop and move on. And yet every now and then, lightning would strike twice on one of their productions. They'd accidentally hire an exiled down-and-outer like Edgar Ulmer to direct a movie based on the Bluebeard story, and he would attract a between-contract player like John Carradine, who needed cash for a property deal, and despite the lack of ambition, magic would spark somehow. In 1944, that's exactly what happened. What should have been a forgettable serial killer thriller diller was given that elusive glimmer of stardust, a slightly more deft touch during the scripting phase, and a touch more class in the casting process. And we suddenly end up with a film that should have been born to fail, somehow succeeding artistically, and this is the very reason I love to spend my time in the B-movie world. Bluebeard is one of those rare examples of a B-movie that's so well made that an A-list budget and cast of legends could not possibly have improved it. John Carradine is simply glorious in the role of Morel. You never think of him as a romantic lead, and yet here, he's sympathetic, he's romantic, he's dashing, he's attractive, and he's lethal, and he's repugnant. Many remember him for his run as Dracula in the later Universal Horrors, but this, for me, is his best screen role. Production-wise, it's very difficult to imagine that even in more wealthy hands, this could have looked any better. I never doubted for a moment the period in which I was supposed to be transported. PRC did a phenomenal job of turning micro-budget into something resembling verisimilitude. The fog clouds around the players, the gas lamps glow, the costumes never scream fake. For all the world, we are staring into the Victorian era. As for the thrills, I do not suggest that this is in any way faithful to Perrault's original fable. This concerns not a husband prone to massacring his brides, but a serial killer preying upon the lost girls of Paris. And in that respect, I do think it's slightly lesser. I mean, why apply the Bluebeard label to this story if it's simply a serial killer story and not specific to the husband killer trope? I do think that other movies have brought that tale to the screen better, among them 1948's Secret Beyond the Door. However, as a horror story, as a serial killer thriller, as a clammy, claustrophobic study of a killer in the fog, waiting just out of reach to do away with the unwary, it works like crazy. Ulmer once again proves that he should never have been exiled in so callous a way from Hollywood's A-list. Yet again, he turns in a chiller for all time. Bluebeard is a B-movie with enough artistry, invention, and schlock appeal to stand alone in the thriller stakes. It's great Halloween viewing. And now, how about some great Halloween listening? This is a show I've never actually played before on Attaboy Clarence, a horror anthology series from the early 1930s, the kind that was so often lampooned on the likes of Tom and Jerry cartoons and other comedy shorts. This was the kind of horror programming that used to play on late-night radio broadcasts across America on Friday nights and listened to by thrill-seeking adults and disobedient children buried beneath their bedclothes. 
This is a radio series called The Witch's Tale, and this story is called The Devil Doctor. The story of a warlock who returns from the grave in search of a woman's blood to revive his long dead corpse. Very Hellraiser. See you afterwards. The Witch's Tale. The fascination of the eerie. Weird, blood-chilling tales told by old Nancy, the witch of Salem, and Satan, her wise black cat. They're waiting. Waiting for you. Now. Sweet bedtime story. <laughs> now, tell these folks to douse their lights and we'll get right down to business. That's it. Make it nice and dark. And draw up to the fire. And gaze into the embers. Gaze into them deep. And soon you'll see inside a big old handsome house in little old Merry England. And there begins our story which we call the Devil Doctor. <laughs> the Devil Doctor! <laughs> Dad? Oh, Dad? Yes? Will you and Stanley come in? Mr. Roberts is here. He will be in a minute. It was awfully good of you to come over, Mr. Roberts. Uh, not at all, Miss Duffus. Before I received your father's message asking me to call, I had already determined to drop in and bid you welcome to Hartley Manor. It's a very trivial matter that Dad wishes to see you about. Won't you sit down? Uh, thank you. I suppose you're very happy to be finally in your new home. I'm sure we will be, but we've scarcely had time to become acquainted with it yet. I see the, uh, the decorators have made quite a few changes. Yes, uh... Dad bought this delightful place because it was so old and rich in tradition. <laughs> then immediately decided to modernize it. I'm sure you don't approve. I, uh, I must confess to a slight dismay. That will be the reaction of our other neighbors, I imagine. They undoubtedly consider it bad enough that Americans are to live in this historic landmark. I hope the liberties Dad is taking with it don't add to their resentment. I'd like to be around when they resent it. Dad, I didn't hear you and Stanley come in. This is the Reverend Mr. Roberts. Oh, how are you, Mr. Roberts? Glad you come over. Thank you, Mr. Duffus. You know, this girl of mine egged me into buying this place. Yet ever since I planked down a cool half million for it, she's been kicking about the improvements I've made. If you wouldn't try to change things too much, Dad. Change is what makes the world go round. Uh, oh, excuse me. You haven't met my future son-in-law, Stanley Davis. Stan, this is Mr. Roberts, head man of the local church. How do you do? Sit down, everybody. Sit down. Now, before wasting any time in small talk, Roberts, I'm going to tell you why I sent you that message to come over here. When I pay for anything, I expect my money's worth. And I paid for something in this house that isn't here. I, uh... Uh, the solicitor's told Dad that, as you are extremely familiar with the history of this house, you might help him in his search. Search for what? An ancestor. An ancestor? Yeah, I've been cheated. I was told that in the art gallery, there were 106 life-size oil paintings of the de Casserac family whose estate this used to be. But there's only 105, which makes one ancestor missing. I see. The 106th portrait... 
isn't really missing, Mr. Duffus. It is hidden behind a secret panel in this room. A secret panel? What's the idea hiding my picture there? It was hidden over 300 years ago, Mr. Duffus, just after its subject died. Why? Because Bertrand de Cassadac, whose likeness it is, had placed a hideous blot upon his noble family name. He was one of the most infamous monsters who ever lived. What did he do? Uh, allow me to show you his hidden portrait first. It'll make the story more believable. The country people hereabout call him the Devil Doctor. The Devil Doctor? Yes. Uh, let me see. Uh, the spring is hidden somewhere in this uh, beaded molding at the side. Ah, I found it. Oh, oh I'll be... The 106 portrait is rather startling, isn't it? Whew, for an instant, it seemed that he'd walk right out of the canvas. Stunned if I didn't have the same feeling. I'm glad he's only painted there. I'd never seen such an evil face. All except the eyes. They're expressionless and dead as those of a fish. Yes, but that only adds to his frightful ugliness. Please close the panel again, Mr. Roberts. Well, I don't know anything about art, but whoever painted that knew his business. It is generally believed in this neighborhood that the artist was Lucifer himself. You mean the devil? <laughs> That's a new one. According to tradition, that is not a mere portrait, but a second body that Burton de Cassirac will return to and wear someday if he's able. A second body? Well, the evil Burton de Cassirac was an alchemist. A delvine black magic, and above all, a Satanist. You mean that he... Instead of God, he worshipped the Prince of Darkness. And in a certain vault below this house was often celebrated that most infamous of ceremonies, the Black Mass. I've heard of it. And so have I. It's a horrible perversion of the true Mass and is offered in honor of the devil. Say, are you kidding me? Unfortunately, Mr. Duffus, we are stating an awful truth. Bertram was finally accused of witchcraft and arrested. In the vault I have alluded to, an unholy altar was found, and hideous parodies of sacred images and vessels. And in the pit beneath the stone floor were discovered the bones of nearly a hundred human beings. Oh, he was executed, of course. No, he cheated the noble punishment by committing suicide. Then, according to the story, the people who so long had feared him rose in arms and demanded his body. They wished to burn it, fire being considered the only way to completely destroy an evil spirit. His relatives smuggled his remains from prison and buried them here. A bishop of the church attended and sealed each corner of his tomb with a holy cross. Well, if that isn't the craziest thing I've ever heard of. It happened 300 years ago, Mr. Duffus, in a very superstitious age. Say... Where is that vault where the old boy did his dirty work? Below the east turret. East? That direction? Yes. Burton's heir had the chamber bricked up, and so it has remained to this day. <laughs> Till yesterday, you mean. I beg your pardon. Well, I told you I was going to change things here. I went down in the cellar yesterday, saw that bricked-up doorway, and had the decorator's men tear it out and use the room to store their packing cases. That vault is open. <laughs> I just told you the decorator's men opened it. They are from London and unfamiliar with the story, Mr. Duffus. If this became known around here, half this countryside would be thrown into a panic. You mean that... I mean the legend of the devil doctor is a living truth to the people of this region. I beg you have that door resealed at once. But why? I have told you their belief about that portrait. Why, you mean that old Bertram will return to life? If he's able. And you have rendered his spirit a service by unbarring the way to his tomb. His tomb? Yes. For below the vault where he buried his victims, Bertram himself was buried. His body is in that room? Embedded in solid masonry. 
By golly, it's beneath the center of the floor. I remember seeing four metal crosses on the corners of a big slab and wondering what they meant. Oh, I want to see it. So do I. Now that I know what it all means, I'd like another look myself. Come on, Robert. Uh, Yes, I would like to see it too. Yeah, the stairs are right down this hall. You don't have to tell Mr. Robert's dad. He knows his house better than any of us. I'm afraid I do. And that is the reason, Mr. Tuppence, I request you to seal that vault again. Say, if you weren't a preacher, I'd say you took this stuff about the devil, Doctor, pretty seriously. As a preacher, I accept the Bible as the word of God. And holy writ bears many testimonies that evil powers exist which are dangerous to men. <laughs> yeah, well, here's the cellar door. Say, help Edith down these steps, Stanley. They're pretty steep and carpeted with dust. You see how useless is any attempt to convince my father of anything, Mr. Roberts. <laughs> you won't even believe the man I'm going to marry will assist me downstairs unless he's told. Well, speaking of convincing me, no one will ever make me believe there's any truth in superstition. Uh, the vault's over this way. I haven't been down here before. Neither have I. And after hearing Mr. Roberts' story, I shan't make a habit of it. Mr. Roberts, since it's believed that that portrait of the devil doctor is a creation of infernal magic... Why was it never destroyed? Because there's a further tradition that whoever harms it will be destroyed themselves. Rot. There's the vault just ahead. Your men didn't break the door. It wasn't necessary. When they tore out the bricks that covered it, the door was standing open. Open? Yeah. Strange. In the ancient record, it said the door was closed and locked. Yeah, well, mind these packing cases here come in. You're liable to snag your clothes on a bent nail. And the shavings are strewn everywhere. Yeah, I saw the crosses about there where that big crate is standing now. Here, give me a hand with it, Stan. We'll push it out of the way. Yes, sir. Ready? Yeah. Let's go. Come on, push. This box must weigh a ton. Yeah. Edith's concert grand piano was crated in it. This would be the case we'd have to move. I see a metal crucifix. Ah, Yes, connecting slab and floor. Where are the others? One should be right here if they were placed at all four corners. But there isn't one there. There's none in these far edges either. They were there yesterday. Dad, you and Stan tore them away with that heavy case. Doggone, I guess you're right. <laughs> Mr. Roberts, if the old devil doctor is half the man you say, he ought to jump right up and dance now with only one cross to hold him down. Ah! Edith, what's the matter? This slab just... Moved. Moved? I felt it under my hand. Ah, quit your kidding. I'm not, Mr. Tuffs. Feel the edges of this slab. Yeah? What about them? Lord, I see what you mean. Dad, they're an inch above this floor. You're crazy. They're absolutely level with it. Feel here, Mr. Duffus. Now your hand is placed beside the one remaining cross. Mm, that's funny. Yes, it is. None of you were chump enough to think this slab has risen since we pulled those other crosses off. I felt it move. Imagination. It's probably always been like this. It couldn't have been, sir. If it hadn't been raised like this before, its sharp edge would have caught the cleats in that piano case. We we couldn't have pushed it a foot. Mr. Duffus, you may think me a credulous old fool, but I beg you have those crosses found and replaced immediately. Then have this vault resealed. I'll do nothing of the kind. Dad, for once in your life give in to someone else. When we entered this vault, I thought the story of the devil doctor as fantastic as you still do. But since you moved that case, I... There's something awful here that's making me afraid. I, I'm not ashamed to admit that I feel the same way. It's as though we four weren't alone in this vault. As though something repulsive and, and deadly is in here with us. There is an unseen presence here. Can't you sense it, Mr. Tuffus? No. And when I prove all this is bunk, you won't sense it either. You wait till I find a tool of some kind. You know, this loose board will do. 
What are you going to do with that board? He bring you to your senses and smash a crazy legend. He means to break that single oh. cross. Dad, don't stop him. <laughs> I thought a good sound whack would do it. You've broken the crucifix. The tomb is no longer sealed. And not a thing has happened. You thought that slab would fly up and hit the ceiling, I suppose, and the old gentleman below would appear in a burst of flame. <laughs> I told you I'd bring change around here. Oh, by the way, you'll have to change a good story now. The crucifix is broken and not a thing has happened. What's that? What? Someone's laughing. In this vault? No, it comes from underneath. That slab, one side slowly rising. Good Lord. Something is pushing it upward. Skeleton wrapped in crumbling shroud. It's rising from that tomb. Run, Edith, run. Yes. To the stairs, the stairs. God, forgive me, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> Darling, you must pull yourself together. We're safe now. Safe. Yes. That cellar door is locked and barred, and we're double locked inside this room. If we did see a thing that all common sense denies, it can't get at us here. If we saw it, do you doubt the evidence our eyes? And do you think your doors will prevent that frightful thing from going where it wishes? That hideous nightmare you delivered from its tomb? That's just what it was. A nightmare. It couldn't have been real. It's too impossible. So one might say who for the first time saw a boa constrictor. That's a natural thing. Whatever is, is natural. We know this thing exists. I can still see the awful horror of its fleshless bones. It's crumbling shroud. Edith, darling. I still hear its frightful laughter. Smell its sickening odor of decay and moan and death. Edith, you've got to snap out of this. If you would only let us leave this house as the servants did when we ran screaming from that cellar. If only you hadn't insisted that we remain here. I didn't ask any of you to stay here. I said I wouldn't run away like a panic-stricken fool. You knew we wouldn't go and leave you here alone? And now night has come. And darkness. Listen here. We've got to look at this thing like sensible human beings instead of superstitious children. So you said when you broke the crucifix upon that tomb. And I still think I was right. Why, I don't deny I've been as scared as the rest of you. Cold shivers are still running up and down my spine. But I didn't travel the distance I've reached in life by being a credulous fool. You can't deny the evidence of all our senses. No, but I can find an explanation of the way that they were tricked. What do you mean, sir? When I overheard Edith telling you this afternoon that folks around here resented our living in this old house, I think she called the turn on everything that's happened. We're not wanted here, and someone conceived the bright idea of scaring us away. Mr. Duffer! And you, Roberts, were a party to the plan. I, sir? Father! He came here with his talk of the devil, Doctor, didn't he? He showed us that picture, told us about the vault, and got us so steamed up we went down to see that tomb. You seriously believe that? Yes. Mr. Roberts is a clergyman. Which makes his skulldudgery ten times worse. Why, Job, I believe you're right, sir. Stand! Mr. David! That explains the thing on natural ground. You think? I think the ghost we saw was just a man. You're mad. No. That vault was dark. We could see objects and nothing more. A man was concealed in that tomb. It was his laughter we heard. Human laughter. The slab was so prepared he could lift it from below. Then, dressed in one of those skeleton suits, he appeared to scare the living daylights out of us. You forget it was you who opened the vault. You who broke the seals upon that tomb. Details. If I hadn't played into your hands, you'd have found another way. Miss Duffus, you do. Yes, I agree with Dan Stanley, Mr. Roberts. How could you do such an awful thing to us? On my solemn word of honor, I swear you're mistaken. You've done enough. Don't make it worse with lies. Your plan has failed, Mr. Parson. Go and tell the others who don't want John Duffus for a neighbor that he don't scare. Stanley, 
dead. That laugh we heard downstairs. And now it's in the hall, outside this room. <laughs> yeah, the laugher doesn't know his little farce has been played out, but he soon will know. Don't open that door. Uh, come on, Stan. Let's find this laughing skeleton. Don't go out there. Stan, turn on these hall lights so he don't slip by us in the dark. Got Gentlemen, I beg. Oh, you shut up. Which way do you think that laughter went? That way. Toward the drawing room. Oh, come on. Dad, Stanley, wait. Huh? Look, that cellar door. It's still locked and bolted as we left it. Well, our laughing skeleton came up some other way. There is no other way out of these cellars, and you can see no normal creature has entered through that door. Yet we heard his laugh from where we're standing now. Well, that doesn't mean a thing. Come on. Wait, sir. Perhaps my imagination's playing me tricks, but, but there's a peculiar odor in this hall. I smell it, too. It's an odor of decay and mold and... And death. By everything that's holy, I beg you, leave this house. Dad, look there. Lord, upon this floor, a train of mold. Oh, that be the cloth. It's a fragment of the shroud that figure wore. Look, as I touch it, it crumbles into dust. It's all a trick, but tricks don't fool me any longer. That lap again. It is in the drawing room. Where the devil doctor's portrait hangs. What do you mean? I've told you the legend of that picture. <laughs> the lap has changed. It's become stronger. Almost human. It's altogether human. Human enough to be punched in the jaw. And that's what it's going to get. Mr. Duffus, wait. After him. Don't let him go into that room alone. He's playing with fire. Fire that will consume us all. He'll disappear through that dark doorway. Quick. Mr. Duffus, where are you? By the window. He's not going to slide by me. You stay at the door, Stan, and turn on the lights so we can see. I've got him. Uh, well, there's no one in the room. Oh, that panel. It's open. As I feared. Yeah, but the portrait's there, thank heaven. Well, did you expect to find it gone? It's changed. Those eyes we thought so dead this afternoon now shine with light. They look alive. Another trick. No, Lord, help us. The devil doctor lives there. <laughs> <laughs> the laugh is coming from that picture. <laughs> the portrait's stepping from its frame. The lights. Who put out those lights? Lights. Lights. For heaven's sake. Edith, where are you? I can't see a thing in this darkness. <laughs> Edith. Edith. He's got me. Edith, he's taking her away. Where? I can't see her. Then that's going towards the cellar door. That leads to the vault. To the room of the devil's mask. Which way is it, Stan? Oh, God, where is that vault? I'm as completely lost as you are. Oh, Roberts was right. We should have waited for a lantern before coming down to the cellar. That would have taken time. And that devil has my Edith. Oh, God, forgive me. Davis! Mr. Douglas! Roberts, he's brought a lantern. Over to him, quick. Yeah, we're coming, Roberts. You still think he tricked us? Not anymore. No trick could have brought that picture from its frame, and we saw it happen. Roberts, quick, lead us to that vault. It's at the far end. This old-fashioned lantern doesn't give much light, but it was all that I could find. It's enough. Hurry. You've heard nothing further since you came down here? No. The laughter stopped, and so have Edith's cries. She's fainted, I suppose. My daughter. Oh, God, forgive me. There's the vault. The door's closed. I'll soon... Oh, it's barred inside. Help me, Stan. I'm with you. That door is solid open, sheathed in iron. You'll never break it that way. No, it doesn't even budge. What are we going to do? That heavy beam lying over there. We'll use it as a battering ram. Wait. Listen. Voice inside. Chanting something. In Latin. Yes. The black mass. The black mass? In honor of Lucifer. The devil doctor is about to offer up a sacrifice. Edith! My girl. You've got to break in that door. Quick. Yes. Got to. Got to. Stand. That ram. With everything we've got. 
Lord doesn't even give. Again. Oh, what's that devil saying? His monstrous ritual nears the time of offering. For the ram. The ram. Oh, the door won't give. When it does, how are we going to stop that thing inside? A thing that's neither the living or for the dead. In faith there is a way. Break down that door. Father, help me to be strong. Give thy servant faith and help him banish fear. But it is that time. With the voice inside mounting. Yes. It's awful prayer to evil. Break that door. We should be too late. Father, give thy servant faith. Help him banish fear. We've got to break it down. Again, then. Explain it. Again. With all you've got. We've crashed it. Come on. Eat it. She's lying on that slab. A living altar. The devil holds a knife above her breast. I'll get him. <laughs> you said you had a way to stop him. By the power of cross, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy <laughs> I give you. Oh, you only laughs. He holds that knife above my daughter. My fear is stronger than my faith. Oh, Father, oh, help me. Love has shown my faith the way to banish fear. In the name of the one and only God, I bid you, whom men once called the Kasarak, return to the hell from which you came. Moses, he read free. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Dad, 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 he's covered with blood. Get Edith from this vault, away from that fiend of hell. Dad, Where another fool like me can bring him back someday. I've heard that fire will destroy a thing like him forever. Give me that lantern, Roberts. Those shavings will burn. They've caught fire. Yes, between that devil and the only door. And he's not laughing now. He knows there's no escape. Run, all of you. In a moment, this place will be a furnace. Yeah, run. Then, Dad's fallen. Roberts, here, help me lift him. Get him out of here. We'll be burnt as cinders. Yes. Save my girl, Stanley. Get her out of this. Never mind me. Sataris! Sataris! You have deserted me! Ah! The fire consumes me! Ah! We are safe from the devil, Doctor. He is surrounded by fire. Sataris! Sataris! Not yet safe from the fire ourselves. Oh, if we can only get Mr. Jarvis to the door. Oh, help me to spoil. Sataris! Sataris! I die! It is the will of God that evil so perish. Let the fire consume him utterly, O oh Lord. Oh, thank God the door at last. Come on, Mr. Duffer, just a little effort. That's it. Shut that door, for God's sake. His cries curdle my blood. Come to the aid of thy servant. Come, aid me. Thank God it is over. Daddy, Daddy, you... How are you? I guess I'm not a corpse yet. But then I was born lucky. Reckon my idea of changing things has worked after all. Your craving for change awakened the almost unchangeable. But it has been the means of removing the baneful and evil spirit of hell which so long has menaced this house. Listen. It is over. Thank you.
also brings our story to an end. <laughs> now we'll go find ourselves a nice graveyard and get inspiration for another pretty bedtime yarn to spin these folks next time. <laughs> And those were the shrieking histrionics of The Witch's Tale, one of radio's earliest ventures into the horror anthology genre. You didn't see me climb through the window. Nobody had to open that door. I just climbed right through the wall, and I want you, one and all, to stand aside and let me have the floor. Take a look, I'm not such a stranger. Here's the face you cookies all ought to know. You can tell me I'm not wanted, but the joints will still be haunted, cause I'm the ghost of Smokey Joe. Remember when I kicked the bucket in my mansion up on Strivers Row? When they came and took me off in a zillion dollar coffin, cause I'm the ghost of Smokey Joe. Tell me, do you remember Minnie? Yeah, we remember Minnie. That frail I never found. You never recognize your Minnie. You mean to say that Minnie quit kicking the gong around? I got a date on my estate down in Hades. Call my chariot so I can go. And should the boot you're walking, just tell her you've been talking to the ghost of Smokey Joe. Yes, I remember Minnie, she's that frill I never found. You mean to say that Minnie quit kicking the gong around? And should the moon you walk in, just tell her you've been talking to the ghost of Smokey. That was Cab Calloway with the ghostly musical treat, The Ghost of Smokey Joe. Marvellous. Final movie outing tonight on this Halloween jamboree. It's from 1940, a sci-fi horror treat from the same team that brought you King Kong and notable for being the first American horror film to be made in full three-strip Technicolor. Yes, Mystery of the Wax Museum and Dr. X from the early 30s were colour, but they were two-strip Technicolor, which is why they look a little bit weird today. If you're a fan of the Devil Doll, if you're enchanted by the Incredible Shrinking Man, if you're 
terrified by the prospect of being eaten by a giant cat called Satanus, then you will love 1940s Dr. Cyclops. You must listen to me before it is too late. When I discovered this gigantic radium deposit, I thought first of you, of Dr. Thorkell, my teacher, of Dr. Thorkell, the great biologist. I sent for you to counsel me. I began to imagine here in the jungle the Thorkell Institute, a palace of healing to which all might come. Bah. Are we then country doctors? You do not realize what we have here. In our very hands, we have the cosmic force of creation itself. In our very hands, we can shape life, take it apart, put it together again, mold it like putty. But what you are doing is mad. It is diabolic. We are back in the Shrinking People is Good for the Planet story. Hooray! Yes, ripped from the Devil Doll script, yet another mad scientist has decided that if all humanity was miniaturized, then we'd need less resources. He's Dr. Thorkell, played by Albert Decker, and he's out there in the Peruvian jungle trying to prove his theories by shrinking horses. But his ambitions are far larger, and summoning a team of scientists, he enacts his dastardly experiment and shrinks them down to around 12 inches high. Come, my little friends, there's nothing here to alarm you. Vocal cords quite unimpaired. That's a very good sign. Have you no temperature? Dr. Bullfinch, would you be good enough to take the pulse of your companions? As with all little creatures, the first instinct is for escape. Well, there's the stairway. Run if you like. But Thorkell is thwarted when he realizes that the effects of his experiment are only temporary. Yes, in no time at all, his mini-scientist gang are going to be normal-sized again and off to the authorities to grass him up. It's a race against time then. Thorkell is on a murderous mission to squish his tiny subjects, and the only way they can escape their doom is to make their way through the Peruvian jungle, which contains giant cats, giant crocodiles, and many, many more perils for a gang of mini people, including fire. Most unfortunate. Well, Doctor, what mistake have you made? It is nature who is making the mistake. You are developing exactly as if you were a young organism instead of a mature one. You're beginning to grow. To grow? How fast? So far, your growth is barely perceptible. Later, it may accelerate. And later, there will come a reckoning. I am well aware of that fact. And it is that which is most unfortunate. So this is from the team of Marion Cooper and Ernest Schutzek, the very men who directed and produced King Kong back in 1933. And you can kind of see the fingerprints of their formula here. They were certainly a team devoted to bringing the fantastical to the screen, and yet by 1940, their gaze seemed to have been less upon the wonder and invention of a story like King Kong, and more upon the technical element of colour. Now, there's no denying that the three-strip Technicolor in this film is very impressive. My personal copy isn't even that good, and yet I would not know that this was a 1940 film if I didn't have prior knowledge. This could easily pass for a late 50s, early 60s film. So in that regard, the filmmakers have definitely succeeded. But they do seem to have wasted their technical advancements on a story that isn't hugely scary, and some special effects that are kind of shoddy. 
even for the time. I mean, the set design's wonderful. When we're watching the miniature science guys fleeing through a field or building weapons in the garden from scissors and the like, you never doubt what you're seeing. It's like in The Devil Doll, when the miniature assassins close in on their victims. The production design in this film is marvellous. But when the crocodile attacks, when Satanus the cat moves in, when Dr. Cyclops himself leers down at them. The differing film stock does instantly remove you from the action and reminds you that you're seeing some admittedly interesting filmmaking that doesn't always work. However, there are scenes in which the filmmakers do go all out and blend some impressive physical effects with some true ingenuity. There's a scene, for instance, where Dr. Cyclops reaches down and snatches one of our heroes And it's all done in a single shot with a giant mechanical hand that does a really convincing job. Effects aside, though, the plot is quite fun. Every single member of the cast gets their own chance to chew the scenery, especially Albert Decker as the mad boffin on a murderous rampage. And as I say, the whole look of the film is seriously impressive. Dr. Cyclops is great, Halloween viewing, a golden age sci-fi horror with a very modern look. However... If you want a slightly more schlocky tale of miniaturizing and murder, I do think The Devil Doll is the superior story. That said, this is a gleefully wicked romp and worth seeing for the production design alone. Our last journey into horror radio comes courtesy of a very familiar friend. Suspense, radio's outstanding theatre of thrills, which was always at the vanguard of innovation and was, in fact, the grandfather of one of modern horror's most fascinating and popular genres, the found-footage horror story. Yes, before the Blair Witch Project, before Paranormal Activity, long before the last broadcast and wreck, Suspense, perhaps the greatest old-time radio series of them all, had the foresight and imagination to present a rather wonderful and certainly twisted presentation that would provide the blueprint for all found footage tales to come. I'm not going to tell you a single thing about what you're about to hear. It's scary, it's creative, and it is scintillating Halloween listening. So I'll say no more, and I will leave you in the company of Ralph Edwards and Suspense with a tale called Ghost Hunt. Now, Autolite and its 60,000 dealers and service stations present... Suspense! Tonight, Autolite brings you Mr. Ralph Edwards in Ghost Hunt, a suspense play produced and directed by Anton M. Leder. Friends, replace worn-out narrow-gap spark plugs with a set of those new wide-gap Autolite resistor spark plugs. Your motor will idle smoother, give better performance on leaner gas mixtures, actually save gas. These winning benefits are all made possible by a newly developed Autolite 10,000-ohm resistor built right into every Autolite resistor spark plug, making practical a wider spark-gap setting. And that's what does the trick. What's more, Autolite resistor spark plugs with this exclusive Autolite resistor have greatly increased electrode life and cut down on radio and television interference. So, folks, see your Autolite dealer and have him replace old, worn-out, narrow-gap spark plugs with a set of the new Autolite resistor spark plugs. Remember, you're always right 
with Autolite. And also remember, the Autolite Suspense Show is now on television. Every Tuesday night in many parts of the country. And now, Autolite presents Ralph Edwards in a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Yeah, didn't that leave you high, huh? Left me feeling treetop tall. That was Louis Armstrong's I Can't Give You Anything But Love. And that's all we have time for on the hot and mellow hour tonight. Yes, 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 this is Smiley Smith, your favorite disc jockey. I hope, I hope, booting the hot and mellow hour home for this evening. I'll be back again tomorrow night, minus the music, but with a little surprise for you. Tomorrow night, Friday night, as you know, is stunt night here at station WXP. And have I got a stunt for you. Last week, if you remember, I planted my wire recorder in the steam room at a lady's Turkish bath and let you listen in on the playback, remember? (laughs) Well, tonight, as soon as I leave the studio, do you know where I'm going? Hmm? Your friend Smiley is going to spend the night in a haunted house on a spook hunt. You heard me, a spook hunt in a haunted house. I'm bringing my little old wire recorder along with me, and if you tune in tomorrow evening at this time, you'll learn what it's like to spend a night in a haunted house. Ain't that something? <laughs> yeah. A real haunted house. No kidding. Four people are known to have committed suicide there. So tune in tomorrow night and share a real thrill with your old pal Smiley, I must be crazy, Smith. Good night. <laughs> Care for a cigar, Mr. Thorpe? I got some cigars in the dash there. No. Well, no reason for you to carry a chip on your shoulder, Mr. Thorpe. Oh, really? Well, I don't like this fool stunt. Well, I don't see it as a fool stunt at all. I really don't. I think it's the only way you're going to unload this house. Ordinary selling methods won't work in a case like this. Now, don't forget the reputation saddling this house. Four suicides since 1939. You know what people call it. The death trap. Yes. A lot of nonsense. Sure, but try to convince people of that. Anyway, when this disc jockey offered me this chance to kill all the rumors about the death or about the property, I just naturally jumped and took him up at it. Especially since it don't cost a cent. You sure about that? I'm not liable for a penny. Not a cent. We're doing him a favor letting him use the place, he said. Thanked me for the chance last night when I drove him out here. So one hand washes the other, as the feller says. He got a chance to pull off a stunt, and the wire recording will prove the people the property is A number one, and we increase the chance of selling the place. Well, as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Not a thing. He's using his own recorder, and I'm paying for the rental of a couple of walkie-talkies he hooked up to it. Well, uh, what about this uh, Reed? Does he charge anything? He comes gratis, too. Dr. Reed is a, uh, whatchamacallit, a psychic investigator. Belongs to a couple of societies that do nothing but hunt ghosts. (laughs) He showed me articles he's written about it in their magazine. Uh-huh. Well, here's the house. Yeah, looks real nice in the sunshine, don't it? Yeah, man, smell that sea breeze. You don't have to sell me. Well, let them know we're here. Yeah, probably asleep up all night and everything. Why don't they come out? You think they've gone? Well, I told them last night I'd pick them up around 11... Uh, Smith! Smith! Hey, Smiley! Dr. Reed! 
Yeah, fast asleep, I guess. We better go in and wake him up. Of course, they may have taken the bus back to town. Oh, no, no. It's a two-mile hike to the main highway. Uh, Smith! Hey, uh, Smiley. Where are you? Wake up. You don't suppose, uh, do you? Oh, no, no. Uh, Smith, uh, Dr. Reed. What's that, that, uh, clicking noise from in there? Well, it's his wire recorder. He left it running. Huh. These machines cost a lot of money. Doesn't he care if he uses up his batteries? Well, where is he, and where's this Reed? Maybe they're upstairs. Uh, Smith! Hey, anybody home? They must have walked to the highway and taken the bus. Well, he wouldn't have left these machines. Well, where are they then? Where are they? No, no, no. Don't get excited, Mr. Thorpe. Don't tell me not to get excited. If something's happened to them in my house, I'm liable. Well, you try this side. I'll try that one. All right. Uh, Smith. Hey, Smiley. Smith. Smith. Oh. McDonald, come here. No, what? What it? Oh. No. Reed. Dr. Reed. No, no, don't touch him, Mr. Thorpe. You'll get your hands off. Look. Blood. Is he dead? I can still feel his pulse. We better get him to hospital fast. Cigar, Mr. Thorpe? No, no, thanks. Well, why not try to relax? The nurse said Reed would be all right as soon as he's had a blood transfusion. You told the radio station to be sure and call us as soon as they had any word about Smith? Yes, I told him. Uh, why don't you sit down? No, oh, I'm all at sixes and sevens. What do you suppose happened out there last night? Well, we're going to know in just a second, just as soon as I can get this, this recorder set up. You don't suppose Smith and Reed got into a fight, do you? Yeah, there. Huh? A fight? I don't know. Well, what's wrong? Won't it work? Yeah, it works. Uh, take it easy. One, two, three. Testing. One, two, three. There. Testing. Listen. One, two, three. All set, Dr. Reed? Mr. McDonald? Hey? Okay, here we go. <clears throat> this is Smiley Smith speaking. Smiley Smith, the ghost hunter. I don't know whether to hope this will turn out to be a success for the sake of the program or a failure for my own sake. Anyway, all the preparations have been made now, and it's up to the spooks. I better tell you where we are. Right now, we're standing on the lawn of a house about 12 miles above Malibu Beach. The ocean is 100 feet away, straight down. The house is perched on a cliff, and there's a sheer drop of about 100 feet right into the old Pacific. Maybe you can hear the surf pounding. I'll turn up the volume. You hear it? Now... I'm going to have you meet two gentlemen who are here with me. Incidentally, we're the only people around for miles and miles. First, I'd like you to meet Dr. Clarence Reed of the British and American Psychical Research Guilds. Dr. Reed is a famous investigator of uh, psychic phenomena, and I'm very honored to be associated with him on this ghost hunt. 
He's smiling in an embarrassed sort of way. You're much too kind, Mr. Smith. Dr. Reed has conducted experiments in this field with such great believers in spiritualism as Oliver Lodge and Arthur Conan Doyle. He looks a bit like Santa Claus. He's short and stocky. You don't object, do you, Dr. Reed? Hmm? No, 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 indeed. And he has a magnificent white beard, a truly great beaver. Dr. Reed is so enthusiastic about ghost hunting that he got out of a sick bed this evening to be with us. Excuse me. My lungs. Mm -hmm. I was uh, gassed in the First World War. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Dr. Reed and I are here on the lawn looking at the house. Can't see much. It's around, oh, 11 p.m. now. Seems to be a rambling sort of house, two stories high. Since it was built, there have been four suicides here. Is that right? Uh, that's right. Uh, in, into the mic, please. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> four suicides since 1939. I better tell them who you are so they won't think you're a ghost. Huh? Standing with the doc and me is a real estate agent, Mr. Charles McDonald. He handles this property, and he can tell you a lot more about it than I can. Well, the house was built by a man named Marcus, Toby Marcus, an orange grower. Built the house as a wedding present for his wife. Month after they moved in, she took her own life. On the day of her funeral, he committed suicide the same way. There have been two other cases since then, and did, I... Did they all uh, jump into the ocean? Yeah, yeah, all four of them, right over there. Yeah. The last one was actually seen doing it about three years ago. He was seen running like all get out the edge of the cliff, and he was shouting and laughing and yelling as though there was people at his side running right along with him. You kidding? No, it's a fact. He was laughing and yelling and running, and when he got to the edge, uh, right over there, huh? he jumped and never came above water. <laughs> as good an argument against cold baths as ever I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, since then, people just refuse to live in this house. Silly, I call it. Anyway, if you and Dr. Reed find any sign of a spook, I'll advise the owner to pull the house down and rebuild. But if you don't find anything, I'm hoping this will convince folks that here's a real buy. Yeah, okay, Mr. Smith, you and the doctor are on your own. I'll be by in the morning to pick you up around 11. Goodbye, Mr. McDonald. I hope yeah. there's something left for you to pick up in the morning. <laughs> well, it's almost pitch black, folks, and I guess Dr. Reed and I ought to begin. I don't believe in ghosts, never have, but what I say is this. If you're dead set on looking for them, this is a dandy place to do it. So long! Mr. McDonald just checked out, and then there were two. Well, three. Oh, my dog, yeah. Uh, folks, I have my dog, Jeff, with me. He's a wire-haired terrier, three years of age, and he can talk. Yeah, say hello, Jeff. Come on, Jeff, say hello. Come on. Well, anyway, he's a wire-haired terrier, and he's three years old. Uh, shall we go inside now, Dr. Reed? I was about to suggest it. Now, uh, how do we hunt ghosts, Doctor? How do we do it, huh? Well, we don't really hunt them. If there should be any in the house, they will come to us. Oh, how cozy. And please, not ghosts. Do not refer to them as ghosts. We know them as apparitions. I'll remember. I've no desire to hurt their feelings. Where ghosts are concerned, I say live and let live. Well, we've opened the front door now. Maybe you heard the hinge squeak a little. Now we're standing here looking in. Can't see much. Smells sort of musty and damp. What's the matter, Jeff? What's the matter, boy? Jeff. Oh, come on now. Come on. My dog seems to object to entering this house. He has all four feet braced, and he's straining against the leash. Perhaps he senses something we don't. Like apparitions, maybe? Perhaps. It's not unusual. Animals lack the veneer of sophistication we humans possess and are more sensitive to such emanations. Yeah, come on, Jeff. Now, stop this nonsense. He probably smells a mouse or rat or something. Come on, Jeff. We're going in whether you like it or not. There's a short entrance hall, and over there at the end of it is a flight of stairs leading to the second floor. Jeff! And uh, over here at the left is what seems to be a large reception room. 
We're entering this large room now. There are windows over there, French windows, and through them I can see the ocean. The electricity hasn't been turned on, so all I have to see by is a flashlight. Not a very powerful one at that. Dr. Reed is now adjusting his walkie-talkie. It's hooked up to my recorder so that he can cut in while he's hunting and tell us what he's found. Here's a few words from Doc before he sets forth on his investigation through the house. Ladies and gentlemen... <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Mr. Smith has introduced me as a ghost hunter. He spoke, I think, in a spirit of skepticism and, and levity. I'd like to assure you all that my purposes here are serious. I have spent my entire life seeking reliable proof of the appearances of apparitions. Mm. Have you ever seen any, ever? I have seen phenomena which lead me to believe in the possibility of their existence, although I have never seen any. I account myself sensitive to the evidence of their existence. This house, for example, affects me profoundly. It doesn't seem to affect you in the same way. I'm not too happy about all this, if that's what you mean. You are not psychic and therefore not sensitive to these matters as I am. I imagine the question in the minds of those of you listening to us is, shall we find apparitions? I don't know, but I feel they are here and that they are evil. I sense danger. I shall soon know. Dr. Reed's leaving the room now to make a tour of the house. First thing I'm going to do is open the windows and let some fresh air in. Ah, it feels better already. Cooler anyway. I know that. Out! What was a bat, a, ba a bat just flew, flew into the room. I, I think it's a bat, not a bird. I didn't actually see it, just its, its shadow as it fanned my face. There it is again. It touched me as it passed. <laughs> Jeff, 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 come back here. Jeff, you fool dog, come back here. Dr. Reed? Dr. Reed? Dr. Reed? <laughs> Suspense. Autolite is bringing you Mr. Ralph Edwards in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Hey, hello. Hello, snap out of it. Huh? Oh, oh, uh, I'm reading a letter about the new wide gap Autolite resistor spark plugs, huh? Oh. It's from Mrs. Clark Perry right here in Hollywood. She says, our 1948 station wagon has given constant trouble. Finally, the garage man said all the difficulty was spark plugs, and he installed a set of Autolite resistor spark plugs. Now the car runs beautifully. The very first time my husband has been really pleased. Well, smart garage man. Smart people to take his advice. Hap, you know, as more and more people learn about wide gap Autolite resistor spark plugs how they make an engine idle smoother, give better performance on leaner gas mixtures, actually save on gas, why then more people will replace old, worn-out, narrow-gap spark plugs with sensational new wide-gap Autolite resistor spark plugs. Any more letters like that, Harlow? Plenty, Hap, plenty. Why, here's another one from New York City. Oh, uh, uh, read it to me later, Harlow. We haven't time because here's suspense. And now... Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Ralph Edwards as Smiley Smith in Ghost Hunt, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Jeff! Jeff, come back here! Jeff, you fool dog, come back here! Dr. Reed! Dr. Reed! Dr. Reed! Reed speaking. What is it, Smith? 
Uh, Jeff has run off. My dog, he, he jumped through the window and ran off. Oh, so? I told you he sent something about this house, didn't I? Yeah, you want to come and see if you can determine what it was exactly that set him off? Uh, soon. I'm making my way slowly up the stairs toward the second floor now. I'm halfway up. I'll be down with you soon. <laughs> Folks, my dog's run away. You probably heard him howling. He jumped through the window and took off. Never did anything like that before. Frightened by the bat, I guess. Personally, alone here in this big room, I can understand how he must have felt. This isn't a cheerful spot by any means. I may not be psychic, but I sure have a feeling this house doesn't want us here. Read again. <coughs> Excuse me. I have something of great interest to report. I'm now standing in an alcove on the second floor trying to recover my breath. As I reached the head of the stairs, I felt what I think is a definite psychic manifestation. I felt suddenly as though I had been punched in the solar plexus. That's the only way I can describe it. At the same time, I began to perspire. My head is still swimming slightly, and I have difficulty in swallowing. My pulse rate is around 110 in a minute. The sense of evil is very strong. I feel very, what shall I say, profoundly depressed. Do you want me up there? Uh, no, I prefer to remain up here alone. The presence of a disbeliever such as you might interfere with my investigation. Folks, I'd like you to get a picture of what it's like here. It's very quiet, for one thing. I've never been in such a quiet place, and it's pretty dark. No light except my flashlight. Tell you what, you go now and douse all the lights you have on. Go ahead, put out the lights, and that'll give you a clearer feeling of how it is here with me. Go ahead, put out the lights. Hey, did, did you hear that? <laughs> Real estate agent told me I'd probably hear rats and mice in the walls. Well, I can certainly hear them now. Even you can hear them, I think. It's as though... Dr. Reed speaking... I've been working my way toward the front room, the one directly above the one in which Mr. Smith is now. The vibrations have become stronger and more and more pronounced as I approach it. I think I am on the verge of an important discovery. Important discovery? Did you get that? Now I can hear Dr. Reed moving about in the room above. I don't suppose you can. Have a try anyway, huh? Hear him? I hope he finishes his investigation soon because... Quite frankly, I'd like to get out of here. I can well imagine people becoming unhinged in this place. Right now, I find myself pretty jumpy. Not being very brave, am I? It's being alone in this room down here that does it. This, this darned old house, it's, it's a very, I mean, you know, the atmosphere, it's so very... I wish only to make this hurried report before continuing with the investigation in this room. I have carefully sounded out all the parts in this room, and the emanations are most strong from what appears to be a closet before which I am now standing. As soon as I open the door to this closet, I will have, I think, a thing of great interest to communicate. I find no key to the lock, and so I will attempt to remove the hinges with my penknife, and I will tell you what I find when I open it. I'll tell you what it would cost to get me to open that door. In the basement at Fort... <laughs> There's that bat again. It seems to like me the way it keeps... Each, each time it passes, it touches my face or my neck with its wings. <laughs> Smelly things, bats... I don't suppose they bathe very often, if at all. I wonder how... Get away, you bat! That bat'll be the death of me. That's like a jingle, isn't it? Bat'll be the death of me, the death of me, the death of me. Bat'll be the death of me. It isn't far from London. No, that isn't the way it goes. It's uh, come down to Q um, in lilac time, in lilac time, in lilac time. Come down to Q in lilac time. It isn't far... I haven't thought of that since I was a kid in grammar school. See, I had a lonely childhood when you come right down to it. I mean, uh, oh, that's my affair, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. It well, certainly is. 
I have succeeded in removing the hinges to the door, and I find inside it is not a closet, but much larger. It is, I think, a dressing room. I have not yet been inside, but I am about to enter. Uh, what was I talking about? Uh, oh, yeah, bats. Well, the bat flying back and forth in this room... It... Did you hear that? Did, did you hear it? Dr. Reed must have knocked something over in the dressing room. A chair, a chair, yeah, a heavy chair by the sound of it. The chair, or whatever it was, must have fallen right, right over my head. That's the way it sounded. I, I, I can see a small stain forming right on the ceiling, right, right over my head. <gasps> something ran across my foot just there. A rat, I think it was. I've always hated rats. Most people do, of course. That stain up there bothers me. It, it's gotten so big so soon. I think I'll take a chance and bother Reed and ask him what it is. Dr. Reed. Reed, can you hear me? Are you all right? Hello? Well, he didn't answer. I, I, I think he's just a little bit deaf. I think so. What do you suppose he's found, huh? I'm afraid this is rather dull for you listeners. I, I'm not finding so, of course. There. I, I heard him cough. Did you hear that cough? Hope he's all right. He's, he, he got out of a sickbed to come here this evening, you know. He was gassed in the First World War, and this place is beginning to get on my nerves a wee bit, just a teensy-weensy bit. <coughs> Reed, speaking, I... Hello? He switched off. That's a bad cough he's got. I feel so lonely. I've been alone so much in my life. Not so much now, of course, but when I was younger, I was alone so much of the time, you know, struggling to get ahead, living in a hall bedroom, wondering where my next meal is coming from. I get the blues just remembering it. Seem sad, young people having to spend so much time alone. Sad for old people, too, of course. I'm saying of course a lot. Of course I am. Hey, that stain on the ceiling, it's grown amazingly. It, it, it's actually beginning to drip. I mean, form bubbles. They'll start dropping soon. Colored bubbles, they seem to be. Odd-shaped stain, like a, a, a body lying on its back with its arms stretched out. <laughs> it's cheerful. <laughs> oh. I'll certainly advise Mr. McDonald to have this place pulled down. I'll go upstairs in a minute or two to see how Dr. Reed's making out. You know, listeners, I, I really believe I'd go completely crazy if I had to stay here much longer. Wears you down. That's exactly what it does. It wears you down. It's so close and musty in here. I feel sort of trapped. <laughs> Don't know why I said that. That's, that's what they call this place, you know, the death trap. There, what did I tell you? That stain started to drip drops. Drip drops, drip drops, drip drops. Drip. I'll catch the next one with my hand. Let's <gasps> Reed! Dr. Reed! I'm, I'm going upstairs now, listeners. I'm, I'm afraid something has happened to Dr. Reed. I'm not kidding. I mean, this is on the level. I, which room could it be now? Right? Le no, right, right. This is it, I think. Well, <laughs> oh, evening, gentlemen. And, and madam, I'm so glad to see you. I, I, I was just aching to see somebody. Anybody. I, I've been so lonely down there. Uh, what have you done with the doctor, huh? I know, I know he's been hurt. See the color of the bubble on my hand? What have you done with him? Make way, please, gentlemen, make way. Well, <laughs> well this isn't the, the funniest darn thing. <laughs> this can't be Dr. Reed lying here. He didn't have a red beard. Now, don't crowd me, gentlemen. Don't, don't crowd me, please. Huh? You want me to go where with you? You want me to do what? Speak up, gentlemen. To the cliffs. Down to the cliffs? You mean right now? <laughs> well, well, all right, if you'll come with me. I don't want to be alone anymore. You will come with me? All of you? All four of you? You too, ma'am? Oh, good. Come on, then. To the cliffs. To the cliffs. To the cliffs. To the... 
He jumped over the cliff. He jumped over the cliff, McDonald. He jumped over... Mr. McDonald, Mr. Thorpe, you may come in to see Dr. Reed now. What? Uh-huh. Dr. Reed is conscious. You may see him now. Is... is he able to talk? Just for a few minutes. In here. Come in. Come in, gentlemen. How are you, Dr. Reed? We've been waiting to see you. Yes, and I must apologize, gentlemen. I had a most unfortunate accident. Hemorrhage. A hemorrhage? Yes. My lungs, you know. Now, gentlemen... Hemorrhage? Dr. Reed, what happened in that house? What happened to Smith? We've just been listening to a playback of the recordings you made out there. Smith? Well, isn't he with you? We've just heard the recording, Dr. Reed. Smith jumped over the cliff into the ocean. Oh, that poor boy. Dr. Reed, will you please tell us what happened? We heard on the recording there were ghosts in that house. Ghosts? I didn't see any ghosts. But Smith, what about him? If he went over the cliff, it was fear that drove him over. But, Dr. Gentlemen, I didn't see any ghosts. As for that unfortunate young man, who can say now what he saw or thought he saw? And that was Ghost Hunt from Suspense. I do hope you liked it. Creepy ending, right? (laughs) Well, that is all we have time for on this Halloween special. Thank you so much for joining me for this macabre trip through old Hollywood and old-time radio. Remember that if you like what you've heard, there are now almost 200 bonus editions of this show, plus hundreds more hours of Golden Age Audio instantly accessible by signing up at www.patreon.com slash attaboysecret. You'll also gain access to both days of November's film festival, as well as access to my classic movie library, which contains tons of Halloween goodness. That is all from me for this edition. Thank you for listening, and my most ghoulish of well wishes to you. On we march toward Christmas then. Have a marvellous November ahead, and take wonderful care of yourself and those you love. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and e-books. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update. 
wherever you get your podcasts.